Welcome, welcome. This is Behind the Wheels Podcast. I am your host, DJ Artistic. I am a DJ based in Los Angeles, California, but I travel wherever you are, wherever you might be. I want to introduce you all to my co-host, EB. EB, what's good? What's going on, everybody? I am EB, based on the planet of Brooklyn. I am a writer, <laughs> blogger, yeah. and content creator in love with everything Black, Blacker, and Blackest. Blackest, that's what it's about. So this is Behind the Wheels Podcast. This is season two, and we talk about anything related to Black music, past, present, and future. So let's go ahead and get into it. So before we uh, start the official episode a couple things have been happening recently when it comes to uh the world of black music um it's it's so complicated with covid and everything we don't know what's going to happen with concerts we don't know who's getting pushed back i feel like a lot of artists are still holding on to their music until they know we're in the clear and with that i think that's what's happening with silk sonic silk sonic finally announced because they're on the cover of rolling stone which is dope but they just announced that they're not dropping their album until january 2022 and it's like i know you're not a huge huge bruno fan but i mean you know everybody from the kids to the aunties are looking forward to everybody's that project. ready for yeah. it i think i mean honestly it's a throwback to when we used to have to wait forever like yeah. we had true. no idea when our favorite artists were dropping albums like we would hear a single and if you didn't see it in a magazine and a write-on or a word up then you didn't know yeah. you know when it was coming i think it's good that they're pushing it back because also mm. the state of the world, like you don't want to release a high album that you can't tour with. And right now, even Facts. though things are open back up and people are starting to go back to concerts and there are a lot of requirements around them, it's still uncertain. You don't know what's going to happen. And I saw somebody on social media say that Bruno actually was not really wanting to do it, but you know, maybe that also has something to do with it. Like, you know, Bruno, mm. he's a superstar. He's a busy man. So pushing it back, I think it was the right move. And I I understand why the fans are upset because you can't drop a hot single, which what feels like five years ago now. And then, you know. We've had like two other pandemics since then. (laughs) You disappear. Yeah, yeah, you you drop a single, you disappear. Then you drop another single that's not as hot as the first one. And then you announce Uh, that the album is pushed back. that's, That's the timing too. I mean, to me, Skate is a cool track. It's a cool album cut. Like, yeah. It's not like it's not single material. It's, yeah, yeah. It's a letdown after that huge first single. Cause I see even Billboard, it debuted at 14 and dropped at 35. And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's ever gonna get back up above that. So I feel like it's a cool track. The video is fun, but even that came out a little bit too late in the summer. That should have been out like May, like exactly to catch that peak summertime. So yeah. yeah, like you said, it is about them touring. And I've been seeing people joking all day saying that basically what probably happened was Bruno and Anderson got high in the studio. Made a made a track. It's like, hey, we should do a whole album. Yeah, let's do that. And they spoke too soon. Put that song out and was like, wait, we gotta do a whole album. We ain't got nothing. Recorded I mean, yeah, and it, yeah. it also could be that they dropped Skate and they watched yeah. and saw how it performed, and they were yeah. like, oh, we gotta let's push the album rework. back because we gotta rework some things because maybe they got other yeah. tracks on there that like they thought were hot, but yeah. now that we've heard and they saw the way they performed in the charts, they were like, let's cook a little more before we serve yeah. dinner. So maybe yeah. that's what's going on. I think so. I think that's probably what happened too, because I feel like that that was a tester. Somebody from um somebody from their camp did tell me maybe two weeks before skate dropped. Like I couldn't tell anybody, but he told me he was like, Yeah, it's gonna be a, a second single and then the album's gonna come later. He didn't say what later meant, but right. he was I mean, he was totally accurate about that. So they did drop that second single and that was kinda like the the, the testing pad. Like, let's see what, what happens with that. So yeah, so hopefully, I mean, all I can say is 
people will be happy as long as it's banging. We can't wait till January and it comes out lukewarm. Right. That and yeah. I think that's what a lot of people who are mad that they're having to wait. That's why because they've already had to yeah. wait for skate and then we get yeah. skate and it's not as hot. So yeah. I think as long as the album is hot and as long as it leaves an impression on everybody, like leave the door open, did then yeah. I think people will appreciate the fact that they had to wait for it. I think so too. Like people will be happy just to hear some good music by that point, and hopefully right. we're in the free by then. So that's what it is. So so moving on, we're going into our rewind segment. The rewind segment we always like to highlight artists and producers from the past who made an impact in their in their time, and there's some who are still making music, and there's some who who have um you know unfortunately passed. So with that, uh, Eb, who would you like to highlight for this episode? Gotta give it up to my man Chucky Thompson who left yeah. us. Uh, rest in peace, Chucky. But he's, rest in peace. Um, he is one of the most prolific producers that we've had, especially in the '90s. Like he was so instrumental in merging the world of hip hop and R and B. And I guess to understand a little about him, like he's a DC native, so he DC. actually was playing the congas in DC for Chuck Brown's band. Like that was That's one of crazy. his first crazy. things. So, so it's not just that he hopped on the scene and was automatically, you know, everywhere. It was like, no, this man put in work. Um, some of the most notable productions that he's done after um, being recruited by Puff to join the Hitman was Mary's My Life, um, Faith's debut album, Big's Ready to Die. He did Usher's debut and um, the song Think of You that everybody you know, think of you, yeah. That people forget about, which I hate, but that you know, he, debut. you know, he did that. He did the Frankie. A lot of people don't know about Frankie. Frankie released an R and B album that um, Chucky did. Um, Faith was on it. Mary was on it. Um, everybody was on it. But he just had this way of marrying these two genres that nobody else before him did in the exact same way. And I think even you want to talk about hip hop, he did Nas's one mic and. That was one of those songs that was almost a departure from what we were used to from Nas. So mm, Chuck yeah. was able to craft these signature sounds for people without all of his work sounding alike. And he definitely needs to be honored for that. So he is def- he's my rewind. Like he the, the songs that he has crafted for people are songs that are still relevant today. Like people still talk about Mary's My Life today as if it's one of the best of all time. People still talk about Faith's debut album. People still talk about Ready to Die. They talk about the work that not only the Hitman, but specifically Chucky put in to crafting, you know, the sounds for these artists who were already established at this point. Some of them established, some of them not as established, but what he did was come in and craft these signature sounds that they could then go on and build on. Definitely salutes to him. Uh, with the, with the thing about Chucky, like you said, is that he worked with so many different artists, but he, he always kind of found a way to to develop a sound for them that was unique to them. That, yeah. that wasn't where, like, you could hear all those artists you mentioned. Even with Faith and Mary, they had parallels, they had similarities, right. but you hear their projects, they sounded entirely different. Mm-hmm. As much as people might have compared them, and even though Faith was singing background with Mary and everything, right. it's like it was still a difference. And then when he when he was working on hip hop tracks, it was a whole different sound. So it was a it was a yeah. huge difference. And he's he was and he was instrumental in also that he wasn't afraid to mentor anybody. That's why you saw so many yeah. people take it so hard. Like Young Guru took it extremely hard. Well, mm. Chucky was one of the first people to bring him on and say, you know what, let me mentor you. Like let me help you get to where you want to be. 
So he was one of those yeah. people who just had love for everybody. And he definitely always had love for DC and all of the DMV. Definitely. So salute to DC anyway. So yeah, yeah rest in peace. Chuck, that's definitely hard loss for hip hop and R&B for sure. So guys, salute him. Uh, my pick for this uh, episode is actually, I'm going to take it to Brooklyn. So I'm going yeah. to select, I'm going to select Queen Penn. So Queen Penn to me is one of those artists um, from the nineties, one of those uh, female rappers that I feel had some of the biggest hits in that era, but doesn't get the acclaim that she deserves. Um, so with Queen Penn, the biggest uh, hit that she was, was on, a lot of folks don't even realize it was her. Or don't even know what her name is. If they weren't really, especially if they weren't really a hip hop fan at the time, because it's no diggity. No diggity is one of those songs we hear all the time. <laughs> I've heard that at karaoke bars with in Santa Monica, but I'm sure everybody could tell you that it's, it's uh, Dre and Blackstreet. But if you ask them, who is that rapping at the end? They're like, uh, who, I don't know. Is that MC Light? Like, no, it's right. Queen Penn. <laughs> like Queen Penn had a legendary verse on the legendary song right there. And then she dropped her debut a year later with Teddy. So she had the album called My Melody. And that, that album used to hear those songs everywhere. Like uh, for LA, anybody who grew up in LA knows that KJLS used to use the instrumental for uh, Man Behind the Music for like five, six years. So I used to hear that on the morning show all the time. And then you got Party in a Party. And that song, was, man, you you put that on. I don't care where you were at when that song came out. You still going to get hyped to it. And still. And of course, uh, Cheeks did his thing on it. But that breakdown, you always going to hear that Cheeks, you know, that's how we do. Like, I still get <laughs> hyped hearing that breakdown alone. So you got that track for sure. And then you got that All My Love. Like, it's hard to remake Luther as a R&B song, but even harder for a rap song. It's only a couple rap songs to me that stand out that remade a Luther song in that way. I would say is the first one I would say is probably Young Guns with uh, No Better Love. But mm-hmm. aside from that, I'm definitely saying that, that All My Love that featured um, Eric Williams from Blackstreet. That's one of those tracks that whenever I play Luther's track, I'm always doing the ad-libs from, from the um, Queen Pen version because Teddy did those, we're taking you back. We're taking you back with another one. Like those ad-libs alone was so dope. So I don't know what necessarily happened with her after that album because she didn't really drop anything for maybe four years after she had an album called Conversations with the Queen. And just from like doing research and talking to people, I didn't realize that that song she had called Girlfriend, which was like, it was a single, but it wasn't really a big single, but she had a single called Girlfriend that was on that same album in 97, featuring uh, Michelle Indegocello. Uh, uh, How do you pronounce it again? Indegocello. Um, Cello. Indegocello. Cello. So she had a song called Girlfriend with her. And one thing about it was that she was a trendsetter in a way that was kind of taboo at the time. That song was kind of exploring the same sex lesbian type of relationship. And in 97, we know how black folks are. We yeah. know how we from that church and all that. So at that time, that might have just been a little bit too much, even though even though it wasn't about a man and a man being together. Either, either way, at that time, that was seen as taboo. So she did get some backlash from that. That even led to her having a few with Foxy Brown, which is kind of weird to me, but Foxy Brown ended up having beef with her. And I do remember reading that in the magazine back then that they had a fight at, at a hotel back then. And I don't know what what stirred it up or exactly how it happened, but even that might have been an issue because at the time, Foxy was a lot bigger. Of course, Kim was bigger. And if she was feuding with, with Foxy, you know how things are. It might be shows that she got X'd out of because oh, we got Foxy on the bill. We can't have Queen Pen too. So... Because she was kind of in that shadow, she came out a little bit after them. Because of course, Queen Pen and Foxy dropped in '96, so her dropped in '97, right after them. It was kind of in that shadow. So, whatever it was, I would I would actually be interested to see if she still is making music, even though it's been 24 years since that debut. 
I feel like she had a, a flow that it still sounds modern to me. It still sounds dope to me, and I would still rock with it if she came back. If she yeah, came back it definitely it. sounds modern. And I've always wondered what happened. Um, but you know, with girlfriend coming out, that actually explains you know a, some of the backlash that she could have faced. Because I remember Monifa when she, even when she did mm. her I can tell the video for the song. Oh wow! It was you know LGBT. You know all those letters. It was that, and <laughs> yeah, the you know they kind of basically like blackballed her. So it could have happened to Queen, but it's also hilarious that nobody realizes that you know <laughs> she's the woman on the Black Street song. Like as yeah. <laughs> yeah. many times as everybody is playing that song and singing it, it's like karaoke out. Like it's Queen Pen. Yeah, for sure. So salute to Queen Pen and rest in peace to Chucky Thompson. And to keep it rolling, we have the fast forward segment. We like to highlight artists who are making waves right now, who are on that bubble, on the come up right now, and we think have a lot of potential to make some some things happen in the game. So, EB, who would your pick be for this episode? Uh, it's Maruf. He is um, spelled M-O-R-U-F. He is a rapper out of Jersey, um, okay. Nigerian-American. But I first caught wind of him, like, listening. I, I listen to jazz a lot. So I'm listening to mm. jazz and I'm hearing these playlists called um, some jazz playing. And I'm I'm hearing these playlists. I'm like, oh, I got to see who is like curating this. And I go and look on Spotify and it's this guy, Maroof, mm. and find, come to find out he's actually, you know, a talented rapper. Um, he's like very jazz influenced. So it, a lot of his stuff reminds me of uh dilla for whatever reason mm. it's just it's it's that type of music his debut dropped in 2010 it was called garden oh, state wow. mine um the prelude and that's you know a nod to jersey you know his hometown and then the next year mm. he dropped garden state of mind ready to live in 2011 2013 he worked with aman amari and they created euphoria yeah. which is actually i think probably my favorite album to date from him just okay. that collaboration is just hot but he he's had solo albums shades of moo in 2013 lucy's in 2016 a lot of his stuff you can find on apple music and spotify but i would definitely recommend going to check out his Bandcamp page because there you have the stuff that he was making before you know he quote unquote hit it big and then you have the stuff um, that he's collaborated with other people on, which is really dope. Like he's worked with SZA, he's worked with Knowledge, Jesse Boykins the third. Like he he has like this level of musicality that a lot of MCs mm. I don't hear them they don't possess. And I love the yeah. fact it, it's almost like how Tyler the Creator is now, where <laughs> when you listen to his music, yeah, he's an MC, but you can hear he has an appreciation for other genres of music. For sure, that is what Maruf is like. His his music is. It's uh, I would say if you like jazz, but also if you are a student of hip hop, not just a casual fan, but a student of hip hop, he's definitely mm. worth checking out. So what's the one? I'm actually on my phone looking up up the album. You said Euphoria. It was Euphoria, Maruf and you said it was Iman um, Omari. Let me see. How, how do how do I even find that one? Because I don't. Oh, see now that one with, is only yeah. on his Bandcamp. That's why. Okay, I'm, it's, I'm that's like, why it's. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hear tricky when it's yeah. art. Yeah, that's the best one yeah. for me. Wow. I, and not to slight his other work because it's great. And I'm actually very like anxious and anticipating what he has coming out next. But yeah. that's on his band camp. Um, you can find Shades of Moo, Lucy's, and uh, Garden State of Mind Ready to Live. You can find those on Spotify and Apple Music. 
everything else you would have to go to his band camp to hear it gotcha okay okay i'm definitely yeah. gonna check him out because i've heard his name before and seen it listed i used to think it was mo ref of course when i first saw his name mm. listed so okay so everybody out there gotta check out maroof uh, my pick for this episode will be an r&b singer named levin kelly so levin is actually from he's originally from the netherlands but he grew up in like la santa monica area so west side and he Levin has been around for a little minute. He's been signed for a while, but he has two main albums that, that a lot of people might know about who, who are fans of him. So the main album that he has is called Low Tide, and then he had the sequel that was called High Tide. And with Levin, I would say it, when it comes to R&B, like modern R&B, we talk about it all the time. We always People are always asking, like, where's the new R&B at and who, you know... They even say that there's more women out there than men. There's not as many men who are making scenes or making making waves because, you know, of course, we have Ari, SZA, um, her, yeah. Chloe, and Hallie. Commercially, I think there are more women who are dominant right now, I would say. I would say Levin has to be be up next when it comes to the, the men. Um, I would say he has the most one of the most musical sounds for a potentially commercial R&B artist, meaning that I think he has possibly the best um, combination of a modern, almost trendy sound, but still high musicality and a lot of like soulful, jazzy influences. So mm. when you hear his music, it's not just like, all right, this is just made for radio. This is just some, something commercial. It has the elements that appeal commercially. He has that voice. He has the uh, just the content. It's so relatable. He has a song like it's called Homegirl. It's basically saying it's not my girlfriend, it's my homegirl. And that's something that's so basic. But the way he puts it together is something that we could all relate to. And when, he, when you hear his album cuts, he has one track that caught me early. Um, one of the main ones I heard from him was actually, uh, it's called My Offer. And it's something that you don't really hear on a, a R&B album. Like the first two, three minutes is just instrumental. It sounds like a scene in, in uh, Love Jones almost. Like it's just a straight jazzy type of track with the bass line, no drums really going. And after two and a half minutes, you hear him come up, the, uh, the beat switches up and he's singing. And it's like for him to even have these type of compositions on the album is just so fire to me. And the, the, the main track that caught me initially, I've mentioned it on season one, is a track that uh, Maxwell, MXXWLL uh, from Canada, produced for him called One on One. When I first heard that track, it was like, what is happening? It has that kind of 80s polish to it, like 80s, almost 90s, but it still sounds so evolved and modern at the same time. And just the way he layers his vocals on there, the way that the, the production evolves, like anybody who knows me knows that I love R&B songs that... Each verse is different. It's not the same exact eight bar, 16 bars repeated. It's where the third verse, you hear those changes, you hear that bridge come up, and he specializes in that. So some of his main songs I would say for people uh, to check out, he has one with uh, Sid. I think his first song that really broke through was called Do No Wrong, which was with Sid from the internet. So the fact that he's affiliated with the internet just kind of shows you where he is. Uh, he has a track called Mine, which is which has a kind of a bright, upbeat vibe to it that's not necessarily trendy for radio, but it is something that could catch on. And then the, the new the new album has Made For You with Sid again. It also has Rich Girl. And Rich Girl is about, you know, one of those relatable songs about somebody who might be a regular dude who, met, who meets the rich girl from the hills. And he kind of breaks that down. So I would definitely put my money on Levin Cali to, to break out next. I think if he gets... Just that one uh, album that gets the push or a couple performances, I think he'll he'll be in that spotlight. I had no idea that um, he, you say he was from the Netherlands. Yeah, no idea yeah. that he was born in the Netherlands. Uh, I do remember the first song I heard was a song with Sid, and yeah. 
it it just kind of one of those things that kind of catches your ear and you're like, oh, who is this? Like, I need to see who this is. And like you said, like him working with the Internet, it kind of tells you like musically, you know, like what level he is on. Like you you don't work with um, anybody from the Odd Future camp, honestly, <laughs> without, this is true. you know, being musically inclined in some way, shape or form. Um, I'm really curious, like like where his career is going to go and like how his sound will evolve, because he seems to be one of those people like almost like a chameleon. I think hmm. he, he, he can fit anywhere. And it's true. that is something that not a lot of people have. So I'm, I'm curious to see if he will end up more commercial or if he'll be, you know, one of those singers yeah. that we know, but he's just not. That know. doesn't break through. Yeah, I'm curious. Right. I mean, he has like, he even wrote uh, something on Drake's album, uh, Do Not Disturb, yeah. he's ringing for Jasmine Sullivan before, worked with Snow Allegra. So he, it's where he's the type that the big artists all know who he is and they, mm-hmm. they're aware. It's just about what the, uh, the fans learn about him. So. I'm definitely to see, yeah, but I'll put my money on him. So salute to uh, Maruf, to Levin Cali, also Queen Penn and Chucky Thompson. So on this episode's playlist, we do have a Spotify and Apple Music playlist that you all can listen to. We will have those artists listed on there. So make sure that you listen to that official Behind the Wheels podcast playlist. So uh, coming up next, we're going to have a quick intermission. Then we're going to have a, a uh, our drop this, this episode. We're going to have the drop coming up with a special guest, my guy Mars from 1500 or nothing. And then we'll have that beat match for you. So uh, grab a drink right now, go ahead and sip on something and we'll be right back for you. Welcome back to Behind the Wheels. So for this episode, for the, for the let me let me uh, reset that. Welcome back to Behind the Wheels. So once again, it is DJ Artistic and EB. So for this episode's drop, we have something special for you. We have producer fifteen hundred or nothing. He's been doing doing music forever since probably since he was a kid. Produced for so many different artists out there. My guy, my homie, my guy Mars. What's good with you? Yes, sir. What up, my guy? Artistic. Man, not much out here trying to trying to make things happen just like you. So, you know, I got a couple couple things uh, to talk about for today. But you know, I know you got so much knowledge and history. So, I'm always down to yeah. see what your perspective is on everything. So, okay, love. I got a little bit, man. Likewise, just a little, just a little bit. I got you. I got you. So, one of the main things that I want to say to, uh, is just uh, or, or touch on was basically. Just where do you see production going in the next couple of years, I would say? Just from a DJ's perspective, it feels like commercially when it comes to uh, production with rap, R&B, even Afrobeats at this point, they're all kind of merging together. But it feels like commercially it hasn't evolved a whole lot the last two, three years. But when you hear those album cuts and certain artists, you, you can hear a lot going on. I feel like a lot of the musicianship is coming back with certain artists. And I'm curious to see, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, um, well, as you were just saying, I feel like it's getting more into uh, getting more back to instrumentation and musicality. You know what I'm saying? That's something that, like, I've never not done. So I don't really, you know what I'm saying? I don't really know how um, it works to do, like, the cookie cutter shit. But I will say that, like, you know, there's a lane for that. 
you know, and music is music. I, I always say it's an expression, but, you know, it's like just like basketball. Like some people want to be good. Some people want to be great. Some people just want to get to the NBA. You know what I'm saying? But like some people just want that contract. And I feel like the people that want to be the best are the people that are making sure the sounds are curated and making sure the music isn't lost in the production. And I feel like the people that, you know, just want to make it to the NBA or just show their mom that they they did it. You know what I'm saying? Or, you know, the creatives where they just have the opportunity to create, which is nothing wrong with that. I just happen to be more so on the first side, you know what I'm saying? And I, I think that's because we all grew up listening to real music. I don't care if you are a musician or not, you've been exposed to it. So, you know, being able to differentiate, oh, you just hearing it like In the Club by 50 Cent, which is a great record. And then being able to hear like, September by Earth, Wind & Fire is going to give you different emotions. Just like, you know what I'm saying? We're probably smiling right now while you're thinking about it. You know what I'm saying? It gives you a different emotion. So it's like those instrumentation, those those instruments and the instrumentation is what um, allows the character to be, uh, you know, infused and the character to be, you know, uh, how can I say? The character to live through the music. Character. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, speaking of that, so with that, have you struggled when it comes to producing and making music like for the club? I'm sure some people come up to you like, I want this to be a radio hit or a club hit, but has it been, is it tricky? Cause I used to produce and it's where it yeah. felt like similar to what you were saying, it's tricky making music for this current era be musical to where people still dance to it, but it's like, it's simple enough to dance to, but it's not so musical. It seems like it's easier for album cuts and for even like certain R&B songs to have, a lot going on, but when it comes to hip hop and even an R and B club cut, mm-hmm. a lot of times, as we see, it's the same four bar loop, sometimes two bar loop, the same melody. So, has it been a struggle to even incorporate musicality with those type of records? Um, not necessarily. I mean, it's. I think it's two sides to that. I think the first side is just like identifying what is needed. And like a lot of people don't even know what they want when they come to me. So a lot of time they'll be yeah. like, yo, I want a record like this. And like once they start explaining, I'm like, oh, you want a record that you don't know what you want. <laughs> then I'm able to say, okay, cool, that's cool. And then just let me do my thing and forget about everything they're saying and just act like I've incorporated everything they said into the production. They're like, yo, that's it. It's like, oh yeah, okay, cool. You know what I'm saying? Because I could I just have to be free to do my job. But I think the other side is like it depends on like the creative, you know what I'm saying? Like it depends on your mindset, like like how people work, how people create. Again, like I said, like a lot of people don't know what they want. So, you know, I could come in and ask you like, yo, make me a club record. But it's like, I don't know what that means. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> so if I'm just saying make me a club record, I could give you all the examples in the world. So yeah, in that aspect, it is difficult to be myself because you, off top initially are comparing me or wanting production from people that you're not talking to. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're mm, referencing mm. producers and stuff and you're in my studio like, yo, I want something like Teddy Riley, like Drake, like all of these people put together and it's like, well, why are you here? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Why are you talking to me? You should go talk to Teddy Riley, Drake, you know what I mean? And I think that's just grown, I think I've just grown into that with maturity because Every time I try to do something outside of what I'm supposed to do and try to do something for somebody else like that they want, which again, they don't know what they want. 
then it always sounds like they don't know what they want. And I don't want my it name comes on out it. that way. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I'd rather take yeah. the bid and the bet on myself to know like, okay, I have some musicality knowledge. I have education in producing, I have education in space, knowing why we want to say, what do you want to talk about? Who are you as an artist? Like getting into the psychology and the things that really matter so people can really like you and people can <laughs> in turn like your song and people can in turn like the beat and it's a whole thing. You know what I'm saying? That resonates more than somebody just being like, oh, I just want a song like this. Because there's a lot of songs. Like yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's for sure. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, like you just said with club records, like even with that, it might sound like a specific lane, but there's so many different types. There's the trap sounding ones, it's the twerk ones, even the, the new West Coast sound. And with that, um, how do you feel about the West Coast sound? Um, I would say in the next couple of years, because I feel like the last decade, it was it was tricky. I, 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 just looking back, it's like you already know where I'm going with it. It's like yeah. you know the '90s, we had a dominant G phone sound. Mm-hmm. 2000s came, LA didn't really have any sound. Any hit we had was because Pharrell made a, a song for Snoop, or or a game was on something with Kanye and them. But then, like we didn't really have our own sound that was in the club at least till honestly Jerkin came. And from there, of yeah. course, like it felt like the mur- like the uh, the mustard sound. Came, you had Mustard League of Stars, Nick Knack, who had a kind of a dominant sound that came in. But even at this point, it feels like I might go to, to Atlanta, to Tennessee, and I might hear one or two West Coast songs, and it might be at 11 o'clock by the time it's midnight. <laughs> it's all South music. It's all trap. It's all right. 70 BPM. So mm-hmm. I feel like personally, like I realize that a lot of crowds, even older crowds, just appreciate the West Coast sound because it, it, it is more musical a lot of times. It has... We have the bass lines, the chords, the the changes in it. So, do you think that's something that that West Coast artists should even like look look at? Because a lot of times artists send me songs like you know play this in the club. When I hear it, I'm like, this is a good record. It could be a great record, but if it's not for the club, you know, it's like maybe that's not the direction you should be looking at. Absolutely, um, I believe that West Coast music is just evolving, and I don't feel like it hasn't evolved since the '90s. I feel like it's yeah. just been an evolution of, you know, and every everything that evolves, it, it has its own process. So, you know, what you learning, it's going to be days where you're like, oh, shit, I'm fucked up. Or, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> Atlanta whooping our ass or New York whooping <laughs> our ass. Or, you know what I'm saying? It's going to yeah. be those days where yeah. you need those lessons where you need to just chill and like reassess and be like, okay, what went wrong? Like, where did we start? You know what I'm saying? Because everything is influenced. Uh-huh. And we're all influenced by the same thing. Like, the East Coast, the West Coast, the North, everybody has some of the same influences. It's just how For you sure. compartmentalize and how you distribute it. So, you know, I think, like, from the early 2000s to, like, you know, once I, like, kind of start producing, and, you know, 1500, like, we, I think the LAX album or documentary was like the first game album we was a part of so like oh, we, were, we were five okay, okay. yeah we were uh, we were able to see like that evolution and still kind of be a part of it you get what i'm saying but yeah. the thing was is that when you think of west coast you think dr dre yeah so Easy. for us we had to when i say us I'm, i mean 1500 and nothing me myself and 1500 and nothing we had to make a name for ourselves where we're doing musical productions. Show me what you got. Why you hate the game. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Stuff like that to where we still gangster. We still church niggas, but we still <laughs> got the music. You know what I'm saying? That's really like going to touch your soul. 
and we still from the hood. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like if like yeah. I that was that was the thing that was missing. I that was the disconnect because what happened was yeah, all the niggas that was listening to the real shit, all the niggas that was a part of the real shit, and then you had niggas like me that just grew up listening to the real shit that wasn't a part of none of that shit. I was in church all the time. Mm. You know what I'm saying? My dad <laughs> yeah, a bishop. Yeah. So I don't know nothing about right. none of that. I ain't know nothing about no hoods, nothing, until I actually moved and got into my first apartment, started our band, 1600 and nothing, start being around Nipsey every day. I was just, I just happened to be around the niggas that was in shit. You know what I'm saying? So that's how I learned. It's different. So it was like, yeah. oh, this is a real story. And as I'm seeing people's story, as I'm hearing people's, then I'm able to relate. And then that's the thing. That's what, that's what I'm saying is the disconnect with producers. People just want to get in the studio. Hey, artistic, I need a beat. Niggas want to sit down, bro. You don't ask me what my favorite color is. You don't want to ask me nothing, <laughs> nigga. Like, you don't care yeah. about me. You don't, you don't care about nothing. Yeah, you yeah. just want to, you just selfish. You being rude. You just going to go over there and play <laughs> beat, the beat that you think I want. And then mm. what? And then now everything is off. Of, now I'm going to be mad at you because you're the producer. You produced the song. And I'm like, hey, bro. Yeah. We put the song out. We did everything you did. You know what I'm saying? So I think that yeah. has a lot to do with how music is made and how music is where music is going because people didn't really like take mm. the time like we did to be like, okay, yeah, I can really just make the same beat every day and just be like, yo, this is going to be my sound. But I had somebody tell me the other day something and that was like probably the best compliment I've had ever in my life. And, and they were like, yo, you know what's so crazy about your music? Like, I never know that you do it. And that mm. and that was, oh, wow. and that's my that was my goal when I first started because I'm like all my influences from Quincy Jones to Jay Dilla to Timbaland Jay Dilla being the heaviest you did not like I had to look up all his songs I didn't know he did the light I didn't know he did the mm. Janet Jackson song I didn't know he did yeah. all the songs that were fire that I was like what is this and it had some it type different. of substance it had some type of musicality and the beats yeah. were still sounding like they was hood and. You know what I'm saying? Like it was LA almost. So it's like Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's like that homework and that education is is what births the sound. So, you know, I feel like, yeah, the West Coast is gonna be to answer your question in the long form, the West Coast is gonna have a great run with this music. It's just the people that have the education on where to take it and how to make it innovative are gonna keep making it innovative. And the people that, you know, Love doing what they're doing. They just gonna keep love loving doing what they're doing. You know what I'm saying? That makes a lot of sense. One thing you just said that um that sticks to me is that y'all are in studios with artists. So when it was like game, when it was Nipsey, it wasn't just a, a case of hey, email me this beat and uh you know and, right. and figuring it out that way. You so right you there. can tell that like yeah. yeah when you when you with them, I can tell from hearing y'all music too that y'all are actually in the studio. And I'm assuming that the artists would give input too. So it, oh, they might hear it breaking the song and they. You know, cut this part or add this to it. So with that, like, what was it like even recording with Nipsey? Like, how was how did that even feel? Or like, even starting out with him before he blew up at that level. Like, what what it, what would it be like in the studio with him? Bullets ain't got no names. Nip, you got Crenshaw. Nip, yeah. you got you know what I'm yeah. saying. Slauson boy. Nip, you got Victory Lap. Nip. I, I think um, the fire thing that um, that I recognize and that I always like think about with Nip is that. That nigga was more hood and gangster than any of us. And he listened to everything <laughs> sure. we did. That let me know that he respect. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, I didn't have, Rance had the relationship with Nipsey because he 
went to COVID, you know what I'm saying? Like, they was, you know, they'll see each other every now and again. Hey, what's up, nigga? Hey, da, 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 da. Oh, I do music. Oh, blah, blah, blah. All right, show I'm running through you, whatever, whatever. But, you know, nigga wasn't really, really in the music. He was really, really more in the streets. So, you know, by yeah. the time I came around, I started meeting niggas, pulling up. I'm, I just happened to be in a house, nigga, and found out that I was in the 60s. I did all the stuff I found out was later. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, nigga, we making music, nigga. This is fire. Like, all the homies. And I'm like, oh, that's his name. Oh, that's, oh, that's that person. Like, you know what I'm saying? That's so, what you're talking about on that song. That's exactly. Yeah. You feel me? So it was yeah. like, people start recognizing me. People start, oh, what's up? Wow. And that grew into having like a real friendship, you know what I'm saying? And a bond. But what was so crazy was like, this nigga would be over all these, you know, Quote, unquote, unquote. I ain't going to say over, but you know what I'm saying? Like, he frontlining, yeah. you know what I'm saying? This war, so to speak. And he walk in a, in the spot, like, our studio, and it's like, you know, the general in there. And then it's like, I, I shit, man. Tell me what y'all think about this. And that nigga would just come through, play shit, take criticism, ask us how can we do this? How can we make this better? Hey. Mars, can you play on this song? That's how I played on Blue Laces. I didn't even know Blue Laces was going to be Blue Laces, the first one. You really? know what I'm saying? Really? Like, yeah, part I one, part one, yeah. I forgot that I played on Blue Laces. I I was wow. riding, wow. listening to it the other day, and it been so much going on. now. You know, now that bro, you know what I'm saying, has transcended, it's like I'll be thinking about different stuff, like, you know, really thinking about records or, you know, we do so much music. I'm like... Not like that, humbly speaking, but I'm saying like when you do no, a lot of, of music, at yeah. the, you know, at at that rate, sometimes it's like, wait, what is that? Or what you forget about that? what you did before? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. like, I'll be riding, just listening to stuff, and I'm like, I'm like, who is this sounding like me? Because I know like <laughs> stuff that I I know like what I play. Yeah. Like I, you know what I mean? I can forget yeah. everything, but I can hear myself and be like, yo, that's me. So um, yeah, it was crazy because it took me back to that that time and that point reference. I'm like, damn. Blue Laces, and then all the way up to doing the new Blue, then Slauson Boy 2, which he was very instrumental in, and that just happened because he was like, yo, we about to put out an album every Monday, Marathon Monday. <laughs> and I'm like- Man, That was a time. That was a time. <laughs> I'm like, nigga, I was about to do my guy Mondays. You think somebody going to look at me when they, when you putting uh, that shit <laughs> Overshot everything I'm doing. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, what? Yeah. So it was crazy because that, like, all these little steps- kept making him like evolve into, you know what I'm saying, having the projects and, and the person that he is. So just working with him was, mm. was fire, bro. Like he would he would have a lot of input. A lot of people a lot of people don't say how much input he had as far as like even being instrumental from like, hey Mars, like I found this video on my computer the other day. He's like, hey Mars, I hear something like and it's like if you know the artist, like like I'm saying, you've been around the artist, yeah. you can, you'll be able to relate. Snoop then did that yeah. to me. He'll FaceTime me at four in the morning. He did that to me 20 <laughs> times. Like, wow. hey, Ted. Wow. Hey, what you doing, Ted? <laughs> Nigga, it's four in the morning. What you mean what I'm doing? <laughs> like, hey, I hear this right quick. Boom, boom, boom. So then I got to take another phone, hurry up. Yeah. You feel me? Record it on there so then he can hear himself. Once he hear his own, own self doing it, now it's human behavior. Wow. You know what I'm saying? You gotta be, you gotta wow. be like in the wow. moment. You gotta live it. So I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna play. It. I'm gonna be ready. Put that on the notes. That's... Put that in the notes. Voice memo it. Email it to myself. Put it in reason. Bam. Make the beat. Send it right back to him in two hours. He's like, damn, cuz. And that's how you keep. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that's how I keep 
evolving yeah. and like you know what I mean. You challenging each other, so that was the that's dope, dope thing. Sales me. Yeah. yeah, he was saying that's, that's he would have I mean, input, yeah, but yeah. it was it was more challenging than anything. You know what I mean? I get that for sure because that that's wild because I've heard a lot of different artists can be like that where even if the credits don't show it, like a lot of artists have way more input than you realize. Mm-hmm. Like they're saying Mike was like that. I even heard that. Um, who else the, they, they said was like that? Was just kind of hum something. I heard even YG was like that sometimes with mustard. I heard YG. YG is definitely like that. Yeah, he, I've heard he, that before. Yeah, yeah, he working. He working on um, a project as well. I don't know if he said that, or I don't know if I was supposed to say that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, hey. we we've been in the studio, and he's he's still to this day like still like that. Hey, this is what I hear. Hey, so hey. Like mm. and then it break down like this and then da 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 da. Hey, what about on the hook? Like, oh, we should, right. hey, record this right now. Da, 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 da. Like, it's real. Record the vibe. Record the vibe right now. And Nip Catch would probably right Nip yeah. would sometimes take a very very long time. I'm not going to okay. okay. take a very very it. long time it. to yeah. do a burst <laughs> to do whatever. Yeah. But what I realized was that everything that he said was true. So it's like, you can't rush something and you can't speak. Just, you can't just do rap. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like you have to really speak your life. Like that's why he's changed so many. I'd rather do the oven cooking and change the world than do the microwave mm. easy bake oven. And you just got everybody wow. with stomach aches. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, shit. So wow. that's how I look at it. <laughs> There's wow. a lot of stomach That's aches out here right now. All of us wow. have had this stomach stomach yeah. aches before, for sure. We had too many of those. Yeah, too we many. don't need those. I no mean, more. it makes all the sense. Like to me, a lot of stuff is so disposable, and it comes and goes. Like whenever I'm looking at songs from the last five years, it's funny when you hear something that you ain't heard in five, six years, and some stuff is actually decent, but some stuff comes and goes because you said it's Fact. that stomach ache. Like. Fact. It's great for for that time. It's McDonald's sometimes. It's that it's, it's that quick. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it pleases you in the moment, but right. after an hour, it's like I need some more substance. So I sure. definitely get that. So the last thing I wanted to ask you about uh, before you head out is just about how do you feel about just the state of live performances like right now with COVID? You know, it's still COVID, so we haven't had as many as many concerts. But do you see things changing in the next couple of months or even years with with that? And um, uh, I have one more random question after that. I'm gonna ask you about about live performances, but before we get to that, um, how do you see that? Because I know you've been doing a lot of those, even with um, I've been seeing you on Tiny Desk, killing it. So love, love, appreciate it. Yeah, actually, yeah. We, do, we got another uh, Tiny Desk. Uh, I just did yesterday um, with uh, with a, a great group. I don't want to yeah. interrupt. Okay, okay. But yeah, yeah, I say sure. uh, I don't think that the concerts are going to be like canceled or anything. I don't. I don't assume. I feel like yeah. COVID opened up a lot of people's mind to technology that we weren't using and yeah. like has uh, made it to where a lot of people can be more accessible without, you know, coming in contact Being with there. everybody. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, that's kind of better in a lot of ways, you know what I'm saying? To getting people sick, you know what I'm saying? Or allowing people to die or the people that just don't care and they just say that they don't have COVID <laughs> just because they want to go to a concert and then they come and get Man. all of us sick. Like it'd be record yep. shit like yep. that that I don't fuck with and like I got a son that you know what I'm saying this nigga too that's my that's my <laughs> everything and I'm like nigga yeah. I'll be here all the time I've been doing my beat auctions live I'll be doing everything live the only thing I'll be doing um I mean uh virtual the only thing I was doing was uh mm-hmm. after church you know once everything after uh, church yeah uh, started and you know I'll do that every Sunday outside of that 
I'm here in the studio unless I got to be somewhere, like, for real. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, I, I, I don't feel like concerts would stop. I think people would just adjust to, you know, whatever the mandates are in those regions or cities. People still been touring and doing shows and stuff like that. And we've been getting called, like, crazy. So, you know, it's, uh, it hasn't stopped for us. Mm-hmm. But as far as, like, touring and doing stuff like that, it's kind of tricky because different states have different mandates. So different laws yeah yeah those red red states don't care that, the i'm South, not they, fucking with that they, <laughs> mm-hmm. i get it no, i get it yeah be right I, I, here. yeah i feel it all right one more question about live performances so uh you saw verses i'm assuming you saw verses with uh jd kiss L- yeah. locks and uh dipset so one thing that he called out is that uh when dipset was, was performing over their own songs oh, yeah. and like i was dead when he said it because it's something <sighs> that kills me especially with rap it happens like, all the time yeah, but how do you how do you feel like like whenever y'all do live shows, do y'all try to make sure that it's where the rapper is not rapping over their own vocals, or how do you feel about? Is there a reason? I'll say that too. Is there a positive reason that they do it that maybe the fans don't get? Because maybe yes. it's something. Okay. Yes. Okay. I I will explain the disconnect, and okay. this can be something that can go viral if it needs to. I'll try to okay. say it in the yeah. least virality way that I can say it. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. Okay, so you have artists that are more seasoned and have been doing shit for a very, very long time. Like, uh, let's say, uh, I don't want to use Mariah Carey, but she's the person that came to mind and I already said her name. So let's just use a Mariah yeah. Carey. So yeah. let's say she's been singing for 20 years. She's probably not going to sound today like she did 20 years ago when she did that song, right? That's just one factor. Two, she probably can't hit some of the notes that she probably could hit 20 years ago. Hmm. Does that mean she can't sing the song or does that mean you still don't enjoy the song? No. You still love that song. <laughs> so she's For still sure. going to come I'm out still get hyped. Three. Yeah. If she can hit the notes and do all the notes, it is my job to make sure that she sounds as best as she can, and it's my job to make sure she has everything she needs to feel comfortable. So Mm. my job is to make sure that in her ear, she can hear herself and the way the record plays. So and when a lot of times when y'all see the uh, uh, Migos or nigga Carrie Hilston or whoever, Chris Brown, anybody that got earplugs, is because they have whatever they need to hear to help them with the best performance. Well, now, whether that be them needing to hear more of their own mic, needing to hear more of the background music, needing to hear more of the actual song that we know so they can get yeah. on the beat. And we need that so we can have the best performance. Now, if you don't do none of that, you're just, you're just on your own. You just fucked. And you have to have pure talent <laughs> And you have to know and wow. you have to rehearse like crazy. You have to be like Michael Jackson, mm. James Brown, Beyonce. You got to rehearse every day. Usher, Usher, wow. I've never rehearsed more ever with no artist other than I rehearsed with Usher. Really? Really? I've Damn. found myself on the floor under a keyboard, like waking up like, oh, shoot, <laughs> I forgot. We in rehearsal. You know what I'm saying? That's how bad Intense. that man won't. So it's like some artists don't have that. Some artists yeah. don't have that. Uh, you know that uh, discipline and some artists don't really mm-hmm. care that much they're just like yo you like the song yeah. we already getting paid 
I don't care how the performance is. I'm going to come out and just, hey, da, 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 and I'm going to just holler, and it ain't going to sound like the song, and you're going to go home yeah. and you're going to like it or you're not. But for me, for T.I., for Future, for Faith Evans, for Maya, for Little Yachty, for Migos, for whoever else I'm not thinking about that I've been a musical director for for the last, I don't know, 10 years, <laughs> I'm doing that shit. That shit going to be in your Make ear, sure. and you're going to hear yeah. everything you need to hear not for you to cheat, not for you to not say the word, yeah. for it to be yeah. low so you can hear it in your ear and you can rap on the words. Mm. Or if you need to take a breath and you can't say that word, you'll still hear a little bit of it so the crowd can keep saying it. And then you can breathe and come right back and get right back in the box. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So it's like, it's just, it's based on the artist, like however, whatever the artist needs. You know what I mean? So Jada Kiss, he yeah. just happened to be a great performer like i said been doing this for a long time he know all his lyrics snoop is the same way snoop will have a teleprompter and all that shit up there and you know everything that all the other artists need but he really don't need it he's just professional as mm. fuck so just in case he do something or cough or smoke or get too high and forget a line he can look <laughs> over there and make sure that the shit is yeah. there you know what i'm saying so it's just about yeah we want to make sure we give y'all the best show so like the people that care that much that's you should have that outlook like damn they care enough to make sure my shit is okay i'm gonna get the best experience these niggas got in the areas in the band coming out i see pyro i see fire oh shit yeah because you want yeah. people to be like damn did you see that baby performance or did you see that dude jumping on the keyboard or remember when nipsey brought out yg like those moments create the experience more than you just remember in the song so you know what i'm saying wow i'm glad you okay. said that because yeah. I like with R&B singers, I get it. Like, you're not always going to sound the same as you do in studio. You're not always going to be able to hit that one uh. note. Like, there's some classic songs. The first one that comes to mind is um, Melissa Morgan when she did uh, Prince's Do Me Baby. And wow. on the song, she's not really hitting the note because she could not get it that day in studio. Right. Now, she was able to do it later uh. live, but in studio, she couldn't do it. Right. When it comes to rappers, I just always assume that your studio voice is sometimes different than your actual speaking voice. It is. Missy is the first person to come to mind. Missy can't perform Missy, you know, without her words because it's going to sound like somebody else. Fact. Same with Lil' Kim. Same with Nicki. Like, Jada Kiss just happens to have that speaking voice that's so much like his rap persona. It's like, it's the same. Snoop, it's the same thing. Like, Snoop is going to sound like Snoop no matter what. A lot of, yeah, you're right. A lot of <laughs> artists, a lot of artists have their own natural voice as their artistic voice and a lot of artists have um like set out and studied to to make sure that you know they have a certain tone every time they rap like i met somebody the other day and he was like yo what's up man man it's a pleasure to meet you man you a goat i'm like oh man i appreciate you bro dude i ain't little me whatever i start smoking smoking rolling up this man goes in the booth and he's like <laughs> like some yeah. crazy shit, but it was yeah. fire. Wow. And I'm like, dope, what though. the fuck is this? It's like, <laughs> wow. okay, niggas wow. are re- people are really studying and learning how to. Okay, I need to set myself apart. I'm not gonna sound like right. another Drake. I'm not gonna sound like another. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Freaking KRS One. Like people be just wanting yeah. to. Yo, yo, what's up? It's like. Yeah. What's I mean, gonna set you apart from the 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 top person? You're competing with the top person. Right. So whoever the top five people are in the industry, oh, this is another viral moment that should happen. 
<laughs> yeah, let's do Brought it. Brought to you by my guy Mars and the great people over here, but at behind the wheels of artistic. Listen, <laughs> if you are if you are an artist, do not call or DM artistic and ask him how your music is before before you do this. Do not call me and DM me and ask me how my music is before you do this. Go to top five billboard charts. Hell, you can even go to the top ten. I'll give you 10 people. <laughs> Let's double that. Go to the top 10 people on the Billboard charts. And yeah. you play all of those 10 songs. Then you play the songs that you were going to play us. And if they do not sound better to you, then don't waste our time <laughs> to you. letting us tell you something wow. that you already know. You got to better wow. yourself. You got to get your mixing together. You got to get all the stuff. Everything is on YouTube. I'm we can't be the nice guys no more. Artistic, we like we're humble, we good, I mean, but like we gotta yeah. give it to them straight. Y'all got YouTube University. We didn't have that shit when we was growing up. <laughs> it's you know true. what I'm saying? You know how the big homies be like, reference. yeah, nigga, yeah. we didn't have do, 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 do. nigga. Y'all got it easy. It's literally that. And I don't be, I don't want to sound it like is. that, but it's like, bro, educate yourself. We have a whole school <laughs> right now. If you can't get on YouTube, yeah. YouTube, you don't got internet. You out here in LA, we got a whole academy. Artistic does lessons. Artistic does stuff. He probably he do stuff that y'all he probably forgot that he do. Y'all just gotta tap in and be worth somebody wanting to fuck with you. You can't just ask for handouts. You know what I'm saying? You gotta show initiative, show show that you're doing something, and then then facts. we can meet yeah. you halfway. You know what I'm saying? You totally right about that. I mean, the thing is, and like like you said, like we might be like the nicer ones because we actually will listen to the music, and it's facts. where some stuff is actually decent. It's something that is actually good, but overall, I feel like it's, it's where it gets, sometimes it gets we get stuff where it's just like, all right, look, bro, you're going to have to take a couple more, you know, everything, <laughs> mixing, mastering, better lyrics, better chorus, better everything, just redo it, so. <laughs> better everything. Yeah, yeah so, hey, hey, Mars, I appreciate you for coming on the show, for real, so. No, I appreciate you, bro. So, yeah. And to everybody who's out there, out there listening, um. This is my guy, Mars, straight from 1500 or nothing. Give them yes, your social sir. media, everything that you have, so they can follow you, too. Love, uh, my shit is my guy Mars, all everything Twitter, my guy Mars, Instagram, my guy Mars, M Y G U Y M A R S, my guy Mars.com. And if you're in LA, we got a concert series for emerging and established artists. It doesn't matter what type of art you do, we accept all art as long as it's great. Um, mm-hmm. and if it's not great, we'll teach you how to get great. We've got people there, yeah. it's an extensive network. So we do it each and every Sunday. Follow the page after Church LA, and shit, man, that's it, man. We 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 love being better together. Any way I can help, I'm here. That's what it's about, man. Salute to you. I appreciate you for sure. So yes, sir. That's what it is. Everybody listening. Next up, we have that beat match for y'all. So stay tuned. Yes, sir. It is that time for the beat match. So we got something different for y'all. So. We were talking about, you know, what was our favorite year for hip hop and R&B in the 90s and what year was probably the best. And it's a lot of different years that are kind of similar, almost equal. But uh, EB, what would you say is your favorite year? or What would you say the best year is for hip hop and R&B of the 90s? Uh, Okay, so after a lot of debate, internal debate, I chose the year of 1997. I thought that was the year that combined hip hop and R&B. They had the greatest impact. 97. Okay. I mean, I remember 97 vividly. It was definitely a legendary year. I mean, to me, that whole mid 90s period is like, you can't go wrong. You definitely. can't, but 
If you ask me, I'm going straight 1994. And I mean, I'll, I'll explain it in a minute, but I'm going I'm to ride 94. But um, so everybody who's listening, this is the beat match. We each have three minutes to explain our case. We get two rebuttals and then we have our producers, Melissa and the lady. They will give us, you know, the judge and jury and let us know who they think came on top in the battle. So EB, I will let you go first with your argument. So what makes you say 97 over all the other years? I think 97 was um, probably the most influential for today's music in terms of just the different styles that we were introduced to. Um, 97 was the first year that the source, the magazine had outsold the Rolling Stone ever in history. Hmm. And that just signals hip hop's rise and its dominance during that particular year and how much of a force it was. I mean, Common, who was originally Common Sense, he changed his name to Common and he put aside the gangster rap for, you know, sweaters and hats and, (laughs) and Neo Soul and Love. Then you got yeah. Missy Elliott who came in like a G and just revolutionalized everything for not just female MCs, but also for the men too. Like without her, like it's a, a lot of people in future generations would not be able to do what they do with um, an eclectic style, like the Nicki Minaj's or even, even the Drake's, you know, even somebody like Atala, the creator, somebody who was different. Missy was that one who was different than anyone else who was on mainstream before. And then also you got Dilla, like you got Slum Village debut. Like people had heard Dilla on things okay, here and there. Okay. But their debut was when you got a full album of Dilla without having to listen to other people's stuff to hear him on. And I think that was like one of the things that really solidified that being a great year. And I can't mention Dilla without mentioning Erica Badu and Neo Soul and how that rolled in around 96, 97. 97 was when Erica came out and it just kind of solidified that you didn't have to be New Jack Swing or Hip Hop Soul. You didn't have to do what everybody else was doing. You could carve your own lane. Wu-Tang, talking about rap again, Wu-Tang actually broke records and debuted at number one in the U.S. Mm. and the U.K., the first time that had ever happened with hip-hop. So hip-hop was strong in 97. I mean, I think 97 was when we got the shiny suits, but we also had the underground, and we also had the gangster rap still happening. Like, you had Bone Thugs release an album, you had Biggie release an album, but then you also had Mace release something like Harlem World, where he, you know, in a shiny suit dancing and smiling. So there's a lot of diversity for that year in both genres that I don't think we had seen up to that extent up until 1997. Gotcha. Okay, okay. I mean, definitely, I definitely uh, hear that. I feel like a lot of songs from 97 do still bang. You mentioned Woo, so that's Triumph, and we got yeah. Benjamins. We got some hits, but I feel like 94 is just that year where, like, even though 97 might be one of those years where we broke through commercially with hip-hop, you might have seen that, like, that might have been when those Sprite commercials were popping a whole lot, like... I feel like 97 was that level, but 94 was that year that really was, that's when it was really getting to that level where we're starting to take over the MTVs a whole lot. So basically, this is how I see it. R&B and rap were extremely strong. And with rap, you had strengths from each region, each city had dominance where everybody's sound was different. Even within each city, it sounded totally different. And it was still similar in 97, but just to name some of the albums that came in, 90, in 94, like, I would say one of the best soundtracks ever. Uh, right behind, I would say Boomerang and Wait Till It's Hell, you had Above the Rim. So we had Above the Rim right there in 94. 
We had Mary J. Blige, My Life, which is your favorite R&B album probably the last like 30 years. So It's not, but go ahead. Okay, it's not. All right. If it's not, it's up there. I know it's one of them for you. So you had that. You had Nas Illmatic debuting. So Nas came out along with Biggie uh, coming out with the uh, Ready to Die. So you had both of those debuts for the East Coast. For the South, you had Outkast. And Outkast is still, I would say, probably the strongest, best group uh, in Southern history and possibly in hip-hop history. So you had Outkast debuting that year. You had Bone Thugs debuting. They they can't, they can't. had some in 97, but 94, you got Thuggish, Ruggish, and you got For the Love of Money. So you had those in 94. You had The Brat coming from Chicago, representing the Midwest as well. And she was the first uh, female rapper to go platinum as a soloist. So you had that come out in 94. For the West Coast, you had Warren G drop that Regulate. And Regulate was one of the biggest songs ever. And you go to any karaoke bar, you can go to Boston, you can go to Idaho. It's going to be some young young teens singing Regulate. Like, How do y'all even know this song? It was that big. Speaking of karaoke hits, you had Boys to Men drop that two album. And I'll make love to you. Like As, as annoying as it might be to us now, I don't want to hear it in that moment. But Boys to Men was the biggest thing out at the time. And that en- ended up inspiring like the NSYNCs and the uh, Backstreet Boys that came in 97, 98. So you had that come. You had TLC, Crazy Sexy, Cool. Like that's that album sold so many records for them to only get a couple dollars from it. We know that the story with that. But you had that come in 94. You had, um, I mean, you had just the hits you had that year too. I mean, thinking about hip hop, you had I Used to Love Her, which kind of shifted things. That, that low-key led to the East Coast, West Coast rivalry even more than more than people realize. So... That's just to start with 94. So uh, back to it with 97. Uh, I mean, 94 was good. And like you said, that Above the Rim soundtrack was amazing. But in 97, we got two soundtracks. We got the Soul Food soundtrack and we got the Love Jones soundtrack. So not only do you have Total, you got uh, Boys to Men and Trina Broussard. Like, you also get like Maxwell. You get like an eclectic mix of everything. Then we got two super groups that year. We got, and from the rap side, we got The Firm. You know, you got AZ, Foxy, Cormega, and Nas. And then on the R&B side, you got LSG. LSG. You know, you got LaVert, Sweat, Gill. You know, and then some of the albums that came out during that year. Yeah, Mary had My Life in 94, but in 97, she had Share My World. Badu had Baduism. Janet had The Velvet Rope. Mariah had Butterfly. Usher had My Way. Boys to Men had, what, Evolution? SWV had released some tension. You know, Camp Lowe had Uptown Saturday Night. Big had his Life After Death, which was his last album, unfortunately. Busta Drop, When Disaster Strikes. Mystical from the South had Unpredictable. And then we got Missy Elliott's debut, Super Duper Fly. And then, like, from those albums, like, hits after hit. Like, we already mentioned LSG, My Body. KRS had Step Into a World. Camp Lowe had Lucini. Missy had Socket To Me and... The rain, you know, Busta had put your hands where my eyes can see and dangerous. So before the clips had all of us on the cafeteria tables doing beats, dangerous Busta did it. Busta yeah. was doing that in '97. It was like <laughs> that year, and you had people like Brian McKnight dropping the "You Should Be Mine" song. You know, the remix with uh, Puff mm-hmm. and you know Mace, Kelly singing yeah. in the background. Yeah, Janet had "Got Till It's Gone" with Q-Tip. Like that was a big song. SWV had "Rain." which is arguably one of the most beautiful R&B songs ever created. Foxy Brown had Big Bad Mama. Like, Will Smith, you know, as corny <laughs> as it may be, he had Men in Black. <laughs> like, the hey. song. 
I mean, you know, Will, Will was the homie, but you know, I mean, it was definitely some hints in 97, but I feel like 94 had, I mean, you had a variety. So you had Tootsie Roll, like, that's the song you still hear. I play that for kids who were born in 02, they still know that. You had, you had Brandy's debut, so you had I Want to Be Down and Best Friend, and you had Baby. You had Changing Faces with that bald head dude I can't even mention no more. You had, um, it might sound corny, but Coolio was major. Like, like before he had uh, Gangsta's Paradise, he had that fantastic voyage. So he had that. You got Craig Mack. Before we had Biggie, a lot of folks forget that. Before that, we had Craig Mack as the first bad boy artist. So you had Flavor in Your Ear, the original, and the remix that Biggie came and just owned them on. And we still joke about that because UPS is always hiring. So we always going to mention that. I mean, we had Gangstar had the mass appeal. We still had heavy D dropping hits. So we, you still had the kind of cleaner clean cut type of fly R&B, R&B hip hop type, got me waiting, nothing but love type tracks. You had those. You had the kind of like the, the reggae influence was starting to go a little bit more toward hip hop. So you had tracks like Any Kamozi, Here Comes the Hot Stepper. Like you still hear that song a lot. Uh, for the kids, you know, like after after you had New Edition, before you had B2K, you had Immature. And 94 was Immature's uh, biggest year. You had the Never Lie. You had the Constantly. You had those types of tracks. So you had... um. When it came to soundtrack songs, you had songs like KC and JoJo. Not even JoJo, just KC by himself. If you think you're lonely now, he took that Bobby Womack and put his own thing to it. You had all those Mary songs. So, of course, you talk about her, deb- her debut had, you know, some bangers. But when you had that My Life, we're talking about You Bring Me Joy, the Be Happy, the, the My Life, the title track, the Mary joint that Drake sampled a couple years ago. You had everything from Biggie. That's the, uh, the Juicy came out that year. I mean... Warning, you still hear warning. Who the f- is this? You still gonna get that. Outcast had those singles, the players ball, Southern Playalistic. The ball head dude had the songs that dropped in 93 that were even bigger in 94. So when it comes to straight up single star power, I feel like 94 had those okay. hits. Uh, all right, so we already talked about the soundtracks that dropped 97. Yeah. We already talked about the two super groups. In general, you got SWV, you got Jean A both dropping in 97 albums. Mary's 97 songs, the I Can Love You, the Everything, like you can't deny like that ghetto fabulous like influence that came over everybody by that time. And then the opposite of that is Erica, you know, walking around with a head wrap and incense, you know, no no furs, no blonde hair. It was like the diversity. You had OGs like Patti LaBelle, releasing songs like when you talk about love and ogs like krs1 releasing step into a world but then you also got the new people like mace coming with feel so good you got the new people coming through like erica you know releasing other side of the game and on and on and next lifetime so it was a year where the ogs could shine the people who were a little seasoned could shine but then the like the absolute newest of the new artists they were coming out and like breaking records. I definitely hear you. I mean, at the same time, in 94, you still had Barry White making hits. You know, Practice What You Preach was a banger in 94. And even Prince was still around with the with Love Signs. So you had those. And I mean, I, I feel like it was still some diversity in 94 because Aaliyah was coming out as kind of the young fly while Mary had the like the young aunties at that time on deck. And then you still had like SWV didn't have a full, full um, album, but they had that remix to... Um, anything with the woo on it that's 94 so you still did get a lot of diversity that year as well to me you even had those tracks we forget about the ill out scratch the 
we're my homies and I'll take her type tracks. You had those sounds of blackness. You still had that kind of like uh, right, right when Kirk was starting to get big, you still had like sounds of blackness dropping the everything's gonna be all right type tracks. You had those and UGK and you know a lot of artists like uh, uh, A Ball MJG had the, the hits that year that, that were big in the South, but they didn't quite cross over just yet. But I feel like '94 was just that pinnacle of rap. Just everybody sounded so much different, and everybody had star power. So I got to ride with '94. So at this time, we will take it to our producers, Melissa and the lady. I'm sure that. The lady was at a concert in '94 and '97. And '97, oh yes, we yeah, know. She she had her her lunchbox probably, you know, <laughs> she in moved line. the lunchbox and then you <laughs> yeah. know took a little nap. <laughs> we know that. So. Ah, yeah, a little nap. <laughs> Since there are so many artists this time, we can't go through all of them. But <laughs> no. do you have one or two you want to highlight from each year? '97 is definitely like the first year I started to go to hip hop concerts and R&B shows. So before that, it was only like whatever my parents went to, which was Gladys Knight and the Pips. But by '97, <laughs> it was like, oh, we in there, and that was like yeah. definitely uh, everyone from Jay Z to Aaliyah, Jenny Wine. Yeah, '97 was a memorable year. So this was a little bit harder than I thought it would be. Um, but I honestly had a hard time making a decision. I felt like 94 had a lot of pivotal moments that were like changing the game and changing the direction of the genres of like R&B and hip hop um, and the soundtracks as well. I feel like 94 really set the tone for where direction we were going. And then 97, like just knocked down a door of creating this opportunity for so many people. And so I have strong memories with what was going on in 97, but I, I actually feel like they're both really impactful. Um, so I kind of have a tie. I hate that. Mm. No. All mm. right. All right. Tie it up. All right, Melissa. Uh, let's see what you got. Well, I really enjoyed this. I'm really going to enjoy the playlist this week. This going to be a fire mm. playlist. Um, oh, yeah. And I think you both have really, really strong arguments. And um, this was very, very tough. But I'm going to go with DJ Artistic this week. Okay. That 94. Okay. 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 So, okay. I mean, I guess that, you know, we'll let the uh, audience decide as well. So, everybody who's listening, hashtag behind the wheels pod. Let us know what year you think was stronger. Or do you think another year was stronger? But between 94 and 97, what would you all pick? So, uh, that is it. That was episode number two, season two, Behind the Wheels podcast. Once again, if you have any suggestions for the drop, for anything that you want us to you know, highlight, or even for the beat match, uh, go ahead and send us an email at behindthewheelspod at gmail.com. And uh, you can find me on social media at DJRTISTIC. It's DJ Artistic with no A. And also on Twitch, twitch.tv slash artistic310. EB, where can they find you at? You can find me everywhere. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, EB for Prez. That's E-B, the number four, and then Prez is spelled P-R-E-Z. Got you. There it is. There it is. So we appreciate y'all for listening, and we'll see y'all next episode. Uh, also, please make sure that you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it helps everybody else find the podcast. So we appreciate you all for that. Artistic signing out. We out. Behind the Wheels is produced by Melissa D. Montz and the Lady Sec. And the music is provided by Epidemic Sound.